Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to Spurs Cast, episode 652. My name is Paul Garcia, and I'm your host here on the Spurs Cast. Today I'll be joined by Project Spurs writer Colin Reed. In this episode, Colin and I will dive into the Spurs going 8-2 in their last 10 games and making the play-in tournament, Keldon Johnson's 20-point games, and much more. Let's jump right into this episode. Colin, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm a real person, as the people can see today for the first time ever. I'm not just an AI with a voice. So excited, excited to be trying out this new format. Yes, Spurscast uh, listeners, if you're, you know, obviously if you're listening to this, you're listening to this. But for those of you that like the vi- the visual format, we are actually bringing the Spurscast to, to a video uh, a video production as well. So now, if you follow us on YouTube, our Project Spurs page, uh, I think it's called the Project Spurs Network. Uh, you can actually see these videos that when I record with guests uh, live, so you can actually see me and Colin here on camera. And there's going to be a little bit more incentive uh, to to watch a video format because I know in the Spurs cast, if you listen over the years, you know that I throw a lot of stats out there, and so these stats will actually be projected to you where you all can actually see these stats uh, in real time. So, uh, Colin, let's jump right into this. I know that you know we haven't talked about the Spurs in a while. So, since the last time we talked about the Spurs, they've played nine games. They they've gone seven and two in those last nine games. So let's talk about. I don't want to go too detailed into who who do uh, you know specific games, but let's just talk about who who have they beaten and who and who did they lose to during these nine games. Over these last nine games, they beat the Golden State Warriors, they beat the Portland Trailblazers three times, the New Orleans Pelicans, the Houston Rockets, and the Denver Nuggets. Who did they lose to? They only lost to the Pelicans and the Grizzlies during this time span. So let's let's focus first on the most recent game, which was Tuesday uh, at Denver. The Spurs are on the road. Um, they win by nineteen in a game where Denver was favored by nine. There was no DeJounte Murray still. He's dealing with that um, upper respiratory illness. Uh, the Spurs took over a pretty big lead early on. They got up by, I think it was 21 was their largest lead. Denver did come back in the second half. They pulled within four, but the Spurs found the answers, and they were able to kind of have a pretty good, um, comfortable lead uh, there in the fourth. Uh, Coach Pop and the players talked about how the game plan was to make Jokic basically beat them by himself. So he, they, they they said, you know, Pop even said, you know, whether he gets 50, we're going to kind of live with that. And that was their approach. Jokic finished, finishes with 41. I think Aaron Gordon had 18 as well. But that's about it. Denver didn't have much else scoring and help off the bench or or in, or in their starting unit. And so um, and the Spurs didn't want to double on Jokic. And so that was kind of their approach. And it worked out. And they ended up coming up with an upset win by 19 over Denver. So, Colin, what are your thoughts on these last, uh, you know, nine games and, and specifically that most recent win against Denver? You know, I think that the the Nuggets game was actually probably their most impressive win. Just kind of looking at this list. The Grizzlies game, that was so close. If they would have gotten that, that would have been a legitimately very impressive win, too. You know, you look at these and not to take away anything, because earlier in the year, the Spurs would have lost these games. Uh, but the Warriors, you know, they're missing Steph. They're kind of trying to figure out their footing going in to the playoffs. The Blazers are obviously one of the biggest tanking teams in the NBA right now, even though their record is still a little bit higher than some of those other teams. They have like maybe the strongest tank effort going on currently. The Pelicans are probably in a, a similar tier to them in mm-hmm. terms of talent, and, and they split those two games. And then the Rockets are another tanking team. So that Nuggets game, I think, was legitimately impressive, specifically because they have some games coming up where they're playing teams that are 
you know, maybe not like head and shoulders better than them, but teams that you'd expect to be better than them that could win their games against the Spurs. And I think the Spurs really needed to win one to kind of clinch that play-in uh, mm. situation, especially to clinch it so early. Um, that that was easily the best win. I think all of them were good. I think the fact that they played the Grizzlies down to the last possession was pretty impressive as well. Uh, so it, it's a really good stretch for this team that has had several really good stretches this season kind of surrounded by some pretty rough basketball. But I guess this is the right time to have one of those good stretches. Yeah, no, for sure. And that was my takeaway as well. Um, you know, we're going to dive into this in a little bit. But, you know, I would see them beat, the, like you said, the Blazers. They beat the Rockets. You're like, okay, you know, they're supposed to win those games. So that's why I don't want to buy. I don't want to, you know, put too much into to those numbers. But then when you see them beat teams like like the Pelicans, like um, like 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 the Warriors, like like just just last night against the the Nuggets, that's actually very impressive and shows that yes, this team is onto something if they're doing that against good quality teams as well, not just the bad teams. So let's let's talk about how the teams um, you know where, where they stand overall right now. Uh, you know they should have gone five and four in their last nine games. They they out they outplayed Vegas and they went seven and two there. Um, they are thirty four and forty five seasons. They have they have secured a play in berth. Um, so you know they they have a chance right now for ninth or tenth. Uh, it's most likely going to be tenth. Uh, they're one game behind the Pelicans in the standings, who are ninth. Uh, they have secured a playing game, like I mentioned. Uh, they're now they now have the ninth worst record because they're winning more games, which means um, they have a twenty percent chance at a top four pick and a four and a half percent chance at number one overall. And that's only if they don't get into the actual playoffs. Because if they jump into the playoffs at the eight seed, well, then they they end up getting out of the lottery and they swap places with whoever whoever they 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 beat there in that eight seed game. Uh, yeah, so uh, they're still 15th on offense, but we're going to dive into their numbers lately in a little bit. And then they're, they're now 17th on defense, so we've seen a little bit of improvement. They have three regular season games left. And like I said, DeJounte Murray's been dealing with um, this um, non-COVID upper respiratory illness where it's almost felt like he's going to come back. Um, and then and then it just seems like it's just the, the, it's just delaying his he, – he's out even more. And he is out Thursday when the Spurs play at Minnesota. And, I mean, there's so much news going on with the Spurs, like how, how well they've been playing. I, I barely – I completely forgot Monty was inducted to the Hall – not inducted, but he was announced as a Hall of Famer. And I was actually at his press conference. Like I, I prepped the entire episode, Colin, and I was like, wait a minute. I forgot about Monty. Monty, Monty became <laughs> – Manu's going to be a Hall of Famer soon, so I, I know that you know we're, we're going to definitely probably spend some more time on Manu in the offseason. Uh, I definitely want to share some some thoughts about about his press conference, uh, and then just lastly, um, you know it, it's going to be very difficult, but there is a path for the Spurs to pass the Pelicans and get ninth, which means home court advantage in that playing game. Uh, the Pelicans would have to go zero and three, and the Spurs go one and two, or the Pelicans go one and two, the Spurs go two and one. The Pelicans go two and one, and the Spurs go perfect down the down the stretch here. And the Pelicans have a um, you know, the schedules they play they play the Blazers, which they're probably going to win that game. They're playing at Memphis and then versus Golden State. Again, Memphis can basically start resting their players. They have that two seed locked up. Golden State is kind of still jostling for position. And then the Spurs' schedule to close the year out is um at Minnesota Thursday, then versus Dallas on Saturday, and then at Phoenix on Sunday. So I know that's a lot of information, Colin. Um, you know what do you, what do you want to uh, discuss there regarding the Spurs, how they're doing right now? So two things. Um, one, a little bit more pessimistic. I am a little bit worried about DeJounte Murray's ability to come back and be 100% by the playing game, especially mm -hmm. as he shared his news that he had lost like seven or eight pounds mm -hmm. from this illness and he's missing another game. Um, that's something that I think, you know, he, he will... I would be surprised if he's still out by the time the playing game comes, but it, I, I would imagine that that's something that would take longer than a week to like get back to full form from. So it'll be very interesting to see kind of where he's at in that in that process as he's coming back and trying to kind of get back into game shape and put on the weight that he had before. Uh, that that does worry me a little bit in terms of where he'll be um, when he comes back, especially with this team gelling so well to put in like a seventy or eighty percent Dejounte Murray. 
Um, you know, you know, I think that that could prove to be a challenge uh, for this team in terms of their play-in games. But the success is that they made the play-ins for the yeah. second straight year. They almost made it in the bubble too. So, you know, this is a team that kind of has some of that, I think, momentum to get into that, you know, eight to ten range most mm-hmm. seasons right now, and, and that is exciting. And all it takes is two games. You know, we we mentioned, you know, they they beat the Pelicans in their last nine games. They also lost to the Pelicans, and then they they had one really good win and another game that was about a, a really good win. And you know, it's just two of those, and all of a sudden they're in the playoffs, which is pretty yep. wild. I think. For me, what I look at and see here is I would be shocked if the Spurs passed the Pelicans. Mm-hmm. But I do think that um, they're probably going to go full throttle against... I mean, they're, they're going to try every single game. But like the Minnesota one is a very important one because at Minnesota could be their second play-in game if they beat the Pelicans. So like I think that could be like a very important game to like see where they're at currently in terms of... Uh, you know, I think if they play at LA against the Clippers with Paul George there and healthy, like that definitely be a pretty tough game for them to win. But I think right mm-hmm. now they have an opportunity to go into uh, a team who likely could be their opponent if they win in their first play in game for like win this game and you're in mm-hmm. uh, that at Minnesota is important. So it'll be interesting to see what that game looks like, because I, I imagine both teams will be trying Minnesota to get out of that play in spot yeah. and the Spurs to, to improve their position, but also to try to get, you know, kind of a, address rehearsal against a team that yeah. they could be playing to make it into the playoffs. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. How, how, yeah, like this could, you're right. Like if Minnesota losing that seven versus eight game, they could easily play San Antonio if they beat the Pelicans there. So I didn't think about that. It's yeah, I do wonder now how they're going to approach it. I know that, I know that there's a few players obviously Murray's out. And then I think Devin Vassell and Lonnie are both probable. So, so they may not play, but again, it'll be good just to see kind of what pop does. Cause it looks like, you know, Minnesota played very well against San Antonio the last time. Uh, those two teams met. So that so there's some interesting thoughts there uh, from Colin. And again, Spurscast listeners, you know, uh, you all probably saw the news about Monty Ginobili going into the Hall of Fame of, or, or getting in, uh, getting the announcement came out that he's going to be inducted in September. So we'll definitely make sure to address um, Monty's Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, just talk about his career and things like that in a, in a future Spurscast episode. All right, let's move on to our sep- second topic, Colin. And this is just how the team's playing um, in these last ten games. They're doing they're doing very well right now. They're eight and two in the last ten games. Um, on offense, uh, they're, they're normally 15th league average. They're currently 10th. And I've kind of put the numbers side by side. I put that on my Twitter, Paul Garcia NBA. Uh, and so if you want to go check that out, you can kind of see a side by side of what the numbers look like for the season versus the, the last 10 games. And so I've just kind of picked apart some major th- things that stuck out to me on the offense. Uh, I, I do notice that the Spurs are taking less floaters right now during this stretch uh, in these last 10 games. They're, they're scoring less in the paint because they're not taking as many shots there. They are getting to the free throw line, surprisingly. They're getting there a lot, a lot more right now. They're taking less mid-range jumpers. They are shooting more threes. And then I just put here their, their shot frequency. Um, 51% of their shots come from um, the paint normally. And then right now it's 49%, so there's about a 2% drop. The three-point line, they've increased their volume, like we said. 35% of their shots come from three for the season. Right now it's 40% of their shots. And then, of course, they're, they're taking less mid-rangers. 14% of the shots for the season come from mid-range. Right now it's 11% of their shots. Um, Colin, what have you noticed lately about their sh- shot selection? Um, you know, in, in watching the last game made this uh, like because Trey Jones is taking them um, in terms of their shot selection. And it's, it's very exciting to see because that's something that I know that you and I have talked about quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, it's interesting because the difference in the three point shot is only 35% of shots to 40% of shots. Mm-hmm. It's only a 5% difference, but like that 5% difference looks huge aesthetically. Like this team is like letting it fly in a way I've never seen them do before. Yeah. 
and, and it's, uh, you know, they're making them, which is good. But even when they don't make them, you know, I think there was a couple possessions in that game last night where a couple players would miss one or two in a row and they would just let it fly still and they would uh, kind of push the lead even higher. And I just, I, I would never think like let it fly be a team philosophy for the Spurs, but that's definitely how their offense has looked lately. Uh, and definitely more modern <laughs> for sure. I think a lot of those young guys kind of like taking that mentality. They like kind of coming in and, and if they have an open shot, they're just going to shoot it without thinking too hard about it. Um, and I think that's kind of helped their offense and, you know, just kind of cutting out some of those mid range and floater shots that can be inefficient shots for, for a lot of players, you know, like mm-hmm. last night, Trey Jones was hitting all of the ones that he was taking for the most part. But yeah, it's, it's, it's good to see that shot selection improving because, you know, one or two points a game does end up making a huge difference in terms of your ability to win or lose these games a lot of the time. Yeah, I'm actually trying to pull up, pull up their record because there, there's something specific to their their success is is about that three point line. Um, here it is. I have it right here. So, uh, when one second, my database take a little bit longer. Okay, here we go. So when they when they win or tie the three point line, okay, for this season they are 21 and 17. So that so they're they're over 500 ball club. When they lose the three point line in any game, they are 13 and 28. So again, it, it shows that team success. Uh, I mean, winning success is, is uh, you know, is is implicated here a little bit here on, on, on that three-point volume. But now, Colin, a, a big reason, too, why the Spurs are actually playing so well. And I, I do want to throw out, you know, that some of it is also the schedule. So I, I have here, you can see the opponents that they've beaten during this stretch. Uh, they have some, I, I coded them as easy teams, you know, the Thunder who are tanking, the Blazers who are tanking. Three times you play the Blazers, that's going to look, that's going to make your numbers better than the Rockets who are tanking. So, yes, they are playing five. They played five teams that are tanking at this point. But, they have, again, like we talked about earlier, they had some challenging teams that they lost mm-hmm. to and, and, and that they beat. So, like I said, they, 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 they lost to the Pelicans. That's somewhere they got blown out. That was very rare for this person to get blown out like that. They beat the Warriors. They beat the Pelicans. Uh, they, in New Orleans, they beat the Grizzlies, and then I mean they lost to the Grizzlies, and then they beat the Nuggets most recently. So, and a big part of why they're they're beating some of these quality teams, Colin, is is their defense. I mean they've just completely shifted now, and and this is something they were doing when they were at their best in December when they were going through that stretch run when they had Derek White and everybody healthy before COVID hit the team. Um, this is what they were doing. They were a really good uh, defensive ball club. So right now, again. For the season, they're 17th on defense, but in the last 10 games, they're the third-ranked defense. What am I seeing on defense when I look at the numbers again side-by-side? Side? Uh, more points off turnovers for this team right now during these last 10 games. They are at one quarter per game where they're holding an opponent below 20 points. And just recently against Denver, they actually held Denver um, twice below 20 points. I think there was a 14-point quarter or 16-point quarter and then like an 18-point quarter. So that is elite defense, especially in today's NBA where almost every team scores 110 on, uh, per night, to hold a, an opponent below 20 points in a quarter is just something you don't see these days from the Spurs team, and that's what they're doing right now during these these, these last 10 games. Um, they're really doing a great job of limiting opponent shots at the rim, and then uh, also they're first right now in opponent accuracy at the rim, so they're really um, you know, not, not letting teams score there. They Of course, if you're taking away shots at the rim, you're also doing a better job of not letting teams score in the paint, because that's actually one of their weaknesses for the season. Uh, they're actually first in opponent free throw makes, so they're not putting teams on the line. I know that was an issue when they first made the trade with Derek White, where the teams you were starting to see teams get um to the free throw line a little bit more against the Spurs, and that wasn't that was usually a concern for San Antonio because they usually they're actually one of the better ball clubs of not putting teams on the line. And then I guess my open ended questions to you is how much of this is just playing? I'm not trying to mean to Doug McDermott here, but how much of this is just playing better defensive players in your lineups? So you're playing Josh Primo. Coach Pop has actually talked about how he's a really good um a one on one type defender. Um, he, he's just again a young athletic guard, six six, can kind of move around, helps out on, on on help on help possessions, can can stay with his man. You, then you got Josh Richardson off the bench, and who's also playing like in crunch time. And then uh, and then also I would also say Zach Collins is a pretty mobile big. 
Um, you know, the teams are still scoring a little bit better at the rim against him, but their 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 volume uh, shot attempts against Zach Collins have gone down for opponents. So I know that's a lot there, Colin. What do you think about their defense? Um, yeah, so I think if you were to separate uh, kind of positions into like three groups being mm-hmm. like bigs, wings, and guards, I would say that's actually probably the order that defense matters. You know, bigs are like maybe the most important position on defense uh, and then wings and then guards. And so when two of your best defensive players, I mean, obviously Jakob uh, is is such a high level rim protector, but you know, when you have DeJounte and Derek White, there are some games where that really does matter. Mm-hmm. But just because guard defense is not necessarily as important as wing defense, having two really high quality uh, guard defenders is kind of a little bit of like that, uh, you're starting to lose a little bit of the edge that makes that good because that skill just isn't as necessary in the NBA where wing defense is maybe a little bit more defense mm-hmm. or um, more important. Yeah. So one of the things, not only about McDermott being out, but the roster kind of being shifted around the trade deadline and just because of some of the injuries to have some more wing defenders and better wing defenders come into the rotation. Now, all of a sudden, you know, even though you lost a really good defender in Derek White, uh, you kind of have more important defensive positions being um, kind of held. And even if you're playing a, someone at guard, uh, if they're not quite as good on defense, well, you have good wing defenders and good rim protectors behind them, and that's okay. So I, I think just kind of, it's not that, like Derek White obviously is a fantastic defender, but I think kind of when you take him out of the lineup and you shift things around where you're playing more important defenders in terms of positionally overall, that ends up becoming kind of a, big change even if you're not like playing better quality defenders so it's kind of an interesting i think philosophy aspect but i do think just playing more better wing defenders has been a huge quality of life upgrade for their defense yeah i I agree with you there and i just think that there's that flexibility where you can you can throw zones in there you can you can do what you did against Jokic. just tell everyone hey stay with your stay with your guy yes he's gonna score against Jakob and and, and zach collins but try not to help as much as you can and you just stay home on everyone And, and again they have you know they're not you know they're not elite elite defenders, but still they're they're players who can stay in front of their man right now. When you have Josh Primo out there, when you have Richardson, Devin Vassell, Dejounte Murray, all these players, Keldon Johnson. So I just think that yeah, there's just a lot more. Um, yeah, I guess I would say flexible. They could just do different things scheme wise on defense, and and it, it did kind of surprise me the fact that you know it's just Zach and and Jakob right at this point as their main bigs, and they're and they're showing these kind of numbers. So again, I know part of it is you know the opponents they played, you know that they really locked down on some of those bad teams, but again they held Denver to two quarters below 20 they couldn't even do that against the rockets or the or the blazers like they never did that against those teams so so again i think there's something there with that defense and that that's a good building block for next season uh you know if if that's if that's if they can hold on to that and maybe you know not maybe not not win out of the playoff the playing tournament but maybe show some of that identity there so i think that's that's really impressive um regarding their, their team defense right now and now a word from our sponsors two titles are up for grabs on the stacked ufc 273 fight card Join the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. New customers can bet $5 on any fighter and get $100 in free bets. Win or lose, guaranteed. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the excitement. Everyone can play for a share of millions in prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy MMA Contest. Draft your lineup of fighters while staying under the salary cap and rack up points for strikes, takedowns, and more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. 
throw throw down five dollars on UFC 273 and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code 2TBPN this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. 21 and older, restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, Colin. So let's go ahead and jump right into you know, right back into the episode here, and let's go to our third topic here. And this is Keldon Johnson. You know, before um, when I when I last uh, you know recorded Spurscast uh, regarding like analysis and things like that, um, I, I kind of mentioned how Keldon was kind of starting to to, to ch- change his shot selection a little bit, and so he's actually on a streak right now. And they, they mentioned this in the broadcast where he's scoring twenty points or more in seven straight games. So he's averaged um, he's scored between twenty and twenty eight points in his last seven games in a row. Now, part of this again, we can, we can attribute to Dejounte Murray being out for four games or three games. And, and, you know, they're, they're leading scorers out, so they're going to rely on their second leading scoring, Keldon, uh, to do a little bit more. But I just want to kind of dive into some of the data and, and kind of what I've seen as well with the eye test. Um, so his points. So he's scoring 16.9 points for the, for the season. Currently, during the stretch of seven games, he's averaging almost 23 points per game. Uh, his shots, he is getting about three more shots, so 13.4 to 16.3. Uh, he is taking more threes. That's kind of something I noted a few weeks ago. So from 5 to 7.7. He's getting to the foul line a lot more. Three, three fouls per game, a shot per game uh, to now 4.6. Uh, assist, uh, yes, they're going up by about one. And then turnovers, they barely increase. They haven't been too much. Uh, he's also driving a little bit more like we see here, 7.9 drives uh, to now 9.3 currently. He, so what have I noticed when I look at his shot, his shot chart for the season versus um, right now? I do notice that his shot selection, this is actually something I asked Pop about a few weeks ago. I asked Coach Pop, you know, has Keldon's shot selection kind of change a little bit or you know what is his approach and he says yes that he's taking just better quality shots right now so as we look at the data it does say that for the season Keldon takes 25 percent of his shots from that floater range that's a very bad shot to take and right now he's only taking 17 percent. so there's an there's a minus eight percent decrease right there in taking those bad shots he's completely taking the mid-range out of his game which is a good thing right right now so for him he's, he hasn't quite developed that shot just yet so he's completely not even going to it so normally seven percent of his shots come from mid-range only one percent of his shots it's really just one shot uh, but we have seen an increase in the most uh, effe- efficient area, which is the um, dunker layup spot. So he's he's um for the season, 29% of his shots normally come from that dunk layup range. Right now, 35% of his shots in the paint come from that dunk layup range. And like I said, also, when you look at his accuracy, that has also improved as well. He's just finishing a lot better now that he's taking shots closer to the basket. And as far as his three ball, he's still a lights out shooter. It still boggles my mind, and this I'm so glad Matt Bonner brought, brought this up on the broadcast. How in the world do defenses still leave him wide open? I was like, are you kidding me? So they, they still do it. They just do it, and he's going to make them pay, and he does it. He's just an excellent three-point shooter, and no one's just caught up. And it's just, I don't know. I, I don't know what to say about why defenses continue to leave him open. So, Colin, what are your thoughts on on Keldon's um, impressive 20-point streak here? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, all of those stats are increases in a good way. You know, the turnovers mm-hmm. increase, like you said, just such a small amount. I actually think that the that the turnover is increasing only by um, 0.4 per game when you consider the difference of load that he's kind of bearing mm-hmm. with these shots and these assists and stuff is actually incredibly impressive as well. You know, and, and just looking at the fact that, you know, when your shots increase by about 30% and your shot profile increases as drastically as it does, I do think like that's a winning formula for, for scoring more points. I know earlier in the season, Keldon was one of the guys that I was really looking at to maybe take a big step this season. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, maybe a quarter or halfway into the season, I, I was kind of wondering like, oh man, is this, is this who he is? Like he showed flashes, but is he kind of just like a rotation guy? Like, is he, mm-hmm. and, and so like, this is a pretty encouraging stretch to see, you know, like, okay, he, he definitely has the chops to be 
an NBA starter. And if, if he continues to play at this level, like an NBA starter for quite some time, you know, I think you and I are, I'm sure going to have a podcast or a several podcasts talking about the Spurs offseason uh, yeah. moves this, this summer. And one of them will be talking about him getting an extension. And honestly, like I see that as more likely now than I did, you know, maybe four months ago. So just a really good stretch for him, a really good stretch for the team. Obviously, if he did not step up in this way, I think with DeJounte Murray out, the Spurs would still be battling the Lakers for position to get into the play-in. I think what's really impressive about what he's doing right now, the fact that he's putting up these 20-point games, is that, yes, he gets a lot of his points from the three-point line because, teams, like I said, I don't know why teams leave him open. Um, but also the fact that like he's kind of still doing it as a secondary ball handler like in terms of like catching and just reacting and driving. Because like even when you look at 9.3 drives right now in these last seven games, that's not a lot. You know, if, you, if you're really like, you know, getting you know into the teeth of defense constantly and you're kind of one of the main players who drives the ball, you're getting over 10 at least at minimum. And so that's something that Derek was doing. That's something DeJounte, you know, continues to do on this team. And so, again, it's, I still see it more so as he's kind of, you know, somebody drives in the kick to him and he's making it just the smarter choices of driving in really hard. Or, or just finding the, the the lanes. Um, just he like Pop actually told me when I asked him about this. He just said he's he's understanding space a lot more, a lot better about when to you know where to attack, when to where where to get. And so I just really feel like yeah, like he still hasn't even got to that part of his um you know as far as like being more so like running more pick and roll and and just being more of a one on one um you know just attacking players. Um, uh, he hasn't even got to that part of his game yet, and I think that's something the Spurs might focus uh, with him on this offseason. Do you have any other comments about Kevin? No, I think it it is just kind of impressive to see. His, his growth in that way. And, and mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, you, you, you kind of sit back and wonder, like if the Spurs had um, kind of the level of primary creator, like a, a Luca or a Trey, like how, how good would Keldon look as that secondary creator? Mm-hmm. Someone who like, you have the heliocentric style offense. I feel like Keldon would fit very perfectly into that. And obviously the Spurs are, uh, if they don't make it to the play-in, going to try to find that kind of guy in the draft. And, and I think that he he is showing – because I think for a long time my problem with Keldon was just like, okay, like he can score when he has the ball, but mm-hmm. like what is he doing when he doesn't have the ball? When he has mm-hmm. the ball, is he making good choices? Is it efficient? All that kind of stuff. And now that we've seen this stretch in kind of the second half of the season for him, like you can see the theory of how he could be a high-impact player next to other – very high level players and that was kind of what was missing before you could see how he could produce on on kind of a below average team but it was like could he be the same guy on a good good team and i'm seeing that kind of production now uh that would make me think you know once the spurs start building their core for hopefully their next like playoff uh level core that he he is a player that could fit into that kind of theory nicely Okay, yeah, no, no, that's just some good thoughts there. So yeah, again, Keldon's, you know, continue on that streak. We'll see how long it goes, whether it goes into the end of the season or or maybe, um, you know, let's just see how long it goes. All right, and then our final topic here, Colin, um, let's talk about just two, two, I would say, new additions to the team. Because um, again, Zach Collins, of course, he was signed in the offseason, but he really didn't join the team till, till later as far as physically being able to join the team because he, he's not healthy and playing uh, more games. And then also Josh Richardson, who they acquired at the trade deadline. You know, he kind of had a slow start because Pop really wasn't giving him a lot of minutes. But now that, you know, there was a lot of injuries to the team. Pop's really trusting him, and he's getting a lot of minutes right now. And, and they're really they're, he's part of, like I said, part of their crunch time lineup uh, these days uh, for, for this team. So I really focus a here on the, t- the last 10 games because that's kind of when they're playing their, their best right now, the Spurs, 8-2 uh, in those last 10 games. So let's first uh, begin with Zach. Um, and, and these are mainly a lot of offensive stats because we kind of talked about the defense a little bit earlier. A little bit earlier. Uh, right now in the last 10 games, he, aver- he is averaging 10.1 points on 7.4 shots. Um, he's collecting 6.3 rebounds. Uh, when I look at his overall shooting, you know, shooting profile, he shoots um, efficiently. He scores efficiently, should I say, near the rim. So he's good about getting like putbacks and and kind of just doing those little those little um, hookins around the rim. 
Uh, he also has a pretty good mid-range jumper that, that, that he's shooting 50% from mid-range right now. Uh, you know, as the season has gone on, defenses are starting to kind of dare him to shoot the wide open three. They're, they're kind of leaving him open on those pick and pops and kind of like letting him, you know, so he's he's looking to more so pass because uh, he is struggling a little bit from, from that wide open three. And then, um, you know, it's it's barely a minus, but, but the teams are scoring less when he's on the floor, uh, 0.3. Uh, points per 100 fewer when he is on the floor. Do you have any thoughts about Collins and what he's been doing in, in these last 10 games? You know, I, I think that it is, um, for on defense especially, you know, I know that he he's someone who comes in and it's not like, oh, you think you're getting this amazing, like, top shelf defender or anything. Mm-hmm. But I do think the fact that, like, he is kind of a positive on defense right now mm-hmm. is, a, is a positive sign just because the Spurs, I think, play a style of defense that, that can make it, easy you know like Lamarcus Aldridge wasn't considered a good defender before he came to San Antonio and his first couple seasons in San Antonio he was actually a pretty good run protector so I think like that they we play a team defense that allows or not we I don't play for the team and I (laughs) can't see that but like the Spurs play a a good team defense that uh allows you know if if the center like Mm -hmm. focuses on on his job then then he can be better than maybe he's looked in other places However, they're also like the linchpin of the entire defense in this yes. heavy drop. Like every time um, they play pick and roll, the other team, the Spurs big man is going to be attacked by a good ball handler. You know, like every time down the floor they, they're on pick and roll, uh, Zach Collins is going to be part of that action, especially near the rim. And so like shutting off attempts at the rim kind of in any situation is like goal number one for a Spurs big man. And like the whole defense is built from there on out. So it's it's. It is a lot of responsibility, but seeing that like he is a plus on defense in this this stretch where they have been good on defense, yeah, uh, is telling, and hopefully that's something that can carry over to next season, kind of as he has this full season with the team. Yeah, and, um, and again, it, it's important to just recall that he's only played twenty five games, and again, missing two years of basketball, and look what he's doing, you know, already for the team. So I think that that's that's a really good sign uh, if you're the Spurs, you know, the fact that that um. You know, there's just the, the, the signs that he's showing, and like you said, the fact is that that they're playing some elite defense during the stretch, and he's part of that rotation. He's he's that big off the bench, especially some games are like last night against the Nuggets, where early on Jakoperto got in trouble in foul trouble, so they had to go to Zach, and he was actually um you know doing his best out there to, to anchor that defense. And then the other player we talked about, Colin, we we're going to talk about Colin is Josh Richardson, who the, like I said, the Spurs acquired him at the trade deadline, but he's kind of started to now kind of fit into the um to the rotation lately, getting a lot of minutes. Um, so how is he doing the last fifteen in the last ten games? Should I say? He's averaging 15.2 points off the bench on 11.2 shot shot attempts. Uh, he's also, like we talked about, defensing 0.7 steals during the stretch. And then now looking at his shot the season, he's a dangerous shooter from three right now with the Spurs. He's shooting 44% from the three-point line for the season with San Antonio, which is 18 games. Uh, defenses are worried about him. When you look at the data, they're not giving him many very – I mean – Many open threes, wide open threes. He's, I think, only thirty-six percent of his shots have been wide open. So, so they are scared of him out, out on the perimeter. And then, of course, defensively, the numbers show that he's a good defender as well. It's t- uh, teams are, are scoring two points per one hundred uh, uh, fewer when when um, Josh is out on the floor. What are your thoughts on on Josh Richardson? You know, I I think the Spurs in the Celtics did a really good job. I mean, like, I think it's kind of cliche to say, "Oh, this is a win-win trade," you know. But like yeah. this trade in particular, mm-hmm. uh, both teams were able to get needs met because if you looked at the Spurs kind of halfway through the season and you're asking yourself well, what do they need you know I think like a good competent wing on defense and offense who can kind of like fill that role that's one of the hardest roles to fill in the NBA that would be like top of their list and uh the Celtics have that in spades with Jalen and Jason mm-hmm. and uh they needed kind of that extra guard who's willing to make the extra pass and stuff so I think 
they made this really good trade for both sides, and I think that's paying off. You know, I know, like you're saying, he didn't play a whole lot at first, and I think some of that just is, um, even if their system has changed a little bit, my my kind of educated guess is that the Spurs still feel like they run a complicated, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. system on offense and defense and i think they're a little bit worried about throwing someone into that without a whole lot of uh, preparation in a training camp and stuff that's probably a big reason why they weren't making a whole lot of trades on trade deadlines in the past because you know i, I remember just kind of an offhanded comment that pop made uh, back when marco came in the first time where he said oh marco has been like the quickest player to ever pick up our system and this was like a month or two into the season so yeah their own estimation of their system is that it's pretty complicated and i think that's mm-hmm. probably why they don't trust new players too too quickly but obviously he's kind of stepped in and filled that role really nicely um i think they're not in this play-in mix without him and they don't make it to the play uh offs if they are able to make it there without him either so he has become an incredibly important player for them and i think that's kind of one of those players that you hold on to for a couple years and see can he fit with this core going forward and that's that's a really important find for a team in this stage of development yeah, and I think that that's why whenever you know you, you and I are going to do the offseason podcast whenever that time comes, and that's going to be he's now one of the interesting questions is what do they do with him because he is that veteran, you know, but he has he also has a year on his deal coming up in, for next season and he's playing really well, like you said he's he's really added to this core. You know what happens if they do get into the actual playoffs? They win two games in the playing tournament and then they're in, and because Josh Richardson's been a, been a key part of that, you know, that, again, so it's going to be a lot of interesting questions going forward uh, with uh, with how how well um, um, Josh is playing, and I think. For Zach Collins, like he's kind of answered that question because I know he has a, a non guaranteed deal uh, this upcoming offseason. I think he's kind of answering that. Yeah, he's still he's he's good enough where they're going to keep probably probably keep that. So again, we'll kind of get into all those um, off season discussions later on uh, in the future once the once the season ends and free agency and all that kind of stuff approaches. Um, so before we wrap up this first cast episode, first cast listeners, uh, don't forget to visit projectspurs.com when you have a chance. Um, thank you for those of you that li- that took some time last week to um uh, listen to our episode that we dedicated to Project Spurs uh, founder Michael DeLeon. Uh, you know, I was really happy with all the all the, the writers and, and, and I had a lot of, um, you know, just a lot of people reached out to me and said, hey, that was really cool. You, you know, just hearing everybody's stories about how we all met Mike and how he's kind of helped us all throughout our career. So, again, thank you all for those of you that, that, that were able to listen to that episode. It was, a, it was a little long, but again, we wanted to get as many thoughts as we could about Mike, but, um, you know, out there in that episode. Um, and then we had our game by uh, continue to visit ProjectSpurs.com because we have our game by game analysis by Stephen Michael. He's continued to write over, over on Project Spurs uh, after each game. Uh, Benjamin Bornstein uh, has continued to get you ready for the draft with his Spurs prospect watch series. And I have to give Ben a shout out here because I just watched the uh, the NCAA tournament recently, Damn. you know, championship game and all that. I was getting into it. Of course, I know who Brady Manick is. And Ben wrote about Brady, Brady Manick and um, he has the perfect headline here. So let me read it to you. Just another Manic Monday, Brady Manic <laughs> Prospect Watch. I was like, yes, that was so good. It's so. I actually tweeted Ben. I was like, this is excellent, dude. Like, per- just perfect. Especially now that I know who Brady. Because like, normally I don't know who the prospects are. Because like, you know, I'm not. You and I aren't really into college mm-hmm. basketball, so like, you know, but I actually took some time because now the sports have a bunch of picks here. I got to know who these players are. And so yeah, now that I know who Brady Manic is, it fits even better. So just, <laughs> it was so such a good headline. <laughs> um, and then of course. Once the Spurs um, season does officially end, I will be um, bringing forth, again, um, making a new Project Spurs draft board. So, again, we'll be put, plugging in all of Ben's um, prospect watches into that draft board with, along with the different stats and things like that. But, again, we'll, we'll wait till the season actually officially ends and, and the Spurs' season is over. So, uh, thanks to Colin for joining me here on the Spurs Cast episode. And also, to uh, thanks to Joe Garcia for mixing and producing this episode. From all of us at Project Spurs, stay safe and have a great day. Say goodbye.
buy to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.